Good morning and happy Monday. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven here on Covenant Network. I'm Adam Wright. So happy to be with you today on this Monday, November 28th. Let's begin our week together and our morning in prayer with our morning offering as we so often and always do. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day for all the intentions of your Sacred Heart in union with the holy sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world, in reparation for my sins, for the intentions of all my relatives and friends, and in particular for the intentions of the Holy Father, amen. We dedicate all of our thoughts, words, and actions to the greater glory of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, it's a good morning, a good week, a happy first week of Advent. I hope your liturgical new year is off to a great start with the uh, the season here. And there's a lot going on with the season of Advent. We'll be telling you about some of those events coming up at the end of the show. But one I do want to mention now is that on Saturday, I'm going to be... Um, out with the Legion of Mary at St. Cletus Catholic Church in St. Charles, Missouri, giving reflections on the Magnificat of the Blessed Mother. That's going to be at 9 a.m. Uh, there's 8 o'clock Mass in the Rosary proceeding. Again, that's at St. Cletus Church in St. Charles, Missouri. I'm really looking forward to being with the folks out there. Today on the show, we're going to continue our series with John Martinoni of Questions That Protestants Can't Answer. Uh, getting to the truths of our Catholic faith. And then we're also going to start... Last week I was so pleased to be able to sit down with Father Wade Menezes once again. And Father is gracious with his time. Uh, We're going to bring you the first part of that conversation. We had a rather lengthy conversation on this season that we began yesterday, the season of Advent. Part one of that is going to air today. And then later in the show we've got some more goodies for you, including the fabulous catequiz and the daily dose of encouragement and more. Before we can get to any of that, though, let's go to Mike Roberts and find out what he what the weather has in store for us today. This is the feast day of St. Catherine Laboret. Born in France in 1806, Catherine, who was also called Zoe, was the ninth of 11 children born to Pierre and Madeleine Gontard, who were farmers. When she was nine years old, Catherine's mother died, and at the funeral, she saw a small statue of the Blessed Mother. Picking it up, Catherine kissed it and said, Now you will be my mother. Her aunt took in Catherine and her younger sister, and she grew increasingly close to Jesus and Mary, often seeing visions. When she was old enough, Catherine joined the Daughters of Charity, founded by St. Vincent de Paul, and soon the Blessed Mother appeared to her. On the night of July 18, 1830, Catherine heard the voice of a child waking her up and calling her to the chapel. There, the Blessed Mother was waiting and said to her, God wishes to charge you with a mission. You will be contradicted, but do not fear. You will have the grace to do what is necessary. Tell your spiritual director all that passes within you. Times are evil in France and in the world. Nine nights later, the Blessed Mother returned to Catherine during evening meditations, displaying herself inside an oval frame and standing upon a globe while wearing many rings of different colors, shining rays that covered the globe. When Catherine asked why some of the rings did not shine, the Blessed Mother told her, those are the graces for which people forget to ask. On the oval frame, there were these words, O Mary, conceived without sin, 
Pray for us who have recourse to thee. And on the frame, which seemed to rotate, were twelve stars, and in the middle a large M with a cross on top, and the Immaculate Heart of Mary underneath. The Blessed Mother told Catherine to tell her spiritual director these images were to be placed on medals for people to wear. All who wear them will receive great graces. Catherine did as she was told, and after two full years of being observed and interviewed, the priest presented the visions to the archbishop, never revealing Catherine's identity. The medals were approved, created, and distributed, immediately becoming popular, which they are to this day. Catherine spent the rest of her life as a sister and a nurse telling no one about her visions of the miraculous medal. It was only after her death in 1876 that Catherine's identity was revealed. St. Catherine Laboret, please pray for us. I'm meteorologist Mike Roberts for Covenant Network. Have a blessed day. Saint of the Day can arrive each morning by subscribing on your favorite podcast player. Search Covenant Network to see all our podcasts. I often say that God is not afraid of our questions because, well, Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and every question has a true answer. And as John Martinoni and I discussed last week, the more we dive into these questions, the closer we get to the answers and to the truth, the more we see that the Catholic Church has that fullness of the faith and the fullness of the teaching. And so we are asking questions that Protestants can't answer once again this week so that we can help evangelize and and have those conversations with our non-Catholic brothers and sisters to maybe plant those seeds that might bring them home to the church. So, John, it's good to have you with us today, and I like our question. If you were to deny that the letter of James was inspired Scripture, and we're kind of picking up where we left off last week, James, faith without works is dead. If you were to deny that the letter of James was inspired Scripture, as Martin Luther did at one point, by what authority would I say that you're wrong? You know, and does the Bible say the letter James is inspired by Scripture? Exactly. And so last week we used James to point out that salvation by faith alone is, as a dogma, is wrong, is, is against what the Scripture actually says. It's opposite of Scripture. This week we're using the letter of James to show that there's an issue with authority. It gets to the sola scriptura, going by scripture alone dogma of Protestantism. Because here's the thing, if I were to say to a Baptist or evangelical or whoever, a non-Catholic, who's telling me, you know, you've got to go by the scripture and the scripture alone, and I say, well, what if I were to deny that the letter of James, or you could put any any book of scripture in there, but... What if I were to deny the letter of James was inspired Scripture? By what authority would you say I was wrong? And they'll say, well, uh, you know, James is in the Bible. Well, but I say it shouldn't be in the Bible. How can you tell me I'm wrong? And they'll say, well, well, they can't tell me that I'm wrong, at least not from Scripture, because there is no verse in all of Scripture that says... The letter of James is inspired Scripture. And if Scripture alone is your only fallible, infallible authority, which is what the Protestants claim, well, then what authority are you going to use, since it's not in the Scripture, saying James is, is inspired Scripture, what authority are you going to use to tell me that it is indeed inspired Scripture? What infallible authority are you going to use to tell me that? They can't. 
they have no such authority. And what that's getting at is that the, you know, the Protestants use sola scriptura as their only infallible source of authority. You know, if it's not in the Bible, we don't have to believe it. If it is in the Bible, we have to believe it. Well, if their interpretation of the Bible, that is. But if that's their only authority, then how did they get the Bible in the first place? Because nowhere in the Bible does it say for the Protestants, all 66 books in this book we call the Bible are inspired scripture, that they are God-breathed. And so if they can't use the Bible, their only infallible source of authority, according to their theology, to tell me that the letter of James is inspired scripture, then how the heck do they know that it is inspired scripture? And that's the point you're trying to get to as a Catholic, is what authority are you using to know that the Bible is indeed inspired scripture, that every book in your Bible is indeed inspired scripture. You can't use the Bible for that, so what authority are you using? And, and you and I know, Adam, as do probably all the Catholics listening, the Church is the authority they actually rely on for that, but that's what you're trying to get them to think, to think about, to, to plant that seed that, well, we need an authority outside of the Bible in order to have the Bible in the first place. So this whole thing of sola scriptura, it is an illogical, confusing, uh, well, it results in confusion, but it's an illogical dogma of Protestantism, and it just does not fly. It, it's not consistent logically and or scripturally. So essentially, John, if you were to say to me, Adam, Book of James, that's not that shouldn't be in the Bible because, you know, sola scriptura. And I came back and said, John, well, why is the first book of Timothy in the Bible, Paul's first letter to Timothy? Or why is John's letter in the Bible? Or why is Revelation in the Bible? Where in the Bible does it say include Paul's letter to so-and-so or include the book of Revelation? It doesn't. So already to get the Bible as we have it, with or without James, we're relying on authority, and that same authority tells us the book of James is in the Bible. Yes. Yeah. Right. Because you, you can do that with pretty much, if not every book, pretty much every book. Because, like, at the end of Revelation, they'll say if you add unto this book or anything, but it doesn't actually say this book, which it should say this scroll, because when it was written, it was written on an individual scroll. This book, Revelation, is the inspired God-breathed, is inspired God-breathed scripture. You know, and so it's like, what authority? What is your underlying authority for getting the Bible in the first place? It can't be the Bible, so what is it? And, and again, it's, it's to plant a seed that there has to be some authority, some infallible authority out there other than Scripture by which you have your Bible in the first place, and guess who that authority is? So... All right. Well, John, I think uh, you've opened our eyes for us once again on how to have these conversations. And this is always a favorite one of mine because I love to quote James. And sometimes my Protestant brothers and sisters are saying, wait, where are you pulling that from again? And now I know exactly, exactly how to start that conversation to answer their concerns. I look forward to continuing our conversation next week. Absolutely. Same here, Adam. The B1 Prayer. 
Eternal Father, at the Last Supper, your Son prayed that all who bear his name might be one. Send the Holy Spirit upon us to make us one in Christ. Strengthen our faith in you. Lead us to love one another. Unite our service to our brothers and sisters, and join us together as we build your church in our midst. Take away divisions that hinder our unity in Christ, so we may, with one mind and voice, as members of one body, praise and glorify you. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, the technology just keeps on becoming more and more utilized here, and, and fabulous, but utilized here at Covenant Network. We're happy to be on a call with Father Wade Menezes once again. And, Father Wade, it is good to have you with us today. Thanks, Adam. It's great to be back with you again, this time to talk about a beautiful, beautiful liturgical season. And not only that, but the beginning of the new liturgical year. Well, Happy New Year to you, I should say. That's right. right. (laughs) Now, I I have to tell you, our youngest, she is in kindergarten, and she has a a wonderful companion book that she takes to Sunday Mass with her every week that walks her through the the entrance rites, the readings, and the different visuals you will see. It's got a whole page of look for these things in the church, the altar, the ambo, the thurible, or as she calls it, the steamer. Um, She's watched us do the laundry at home a a few too many times. Uh, And one of the pages has the priest, and there's a little color wheel, and you can change the priest's vestment. And every day she says, Daddy, what color is today. What color is today? Mm-hmm. And I'm so excited that after weeks and weeks and weeks of telling her green, we get to pick a new color, one we haven't seen since, well, honestly, the season of Lent, and that's purple or violet. And that's what brings us together today, Father Wade, the season of Advent. So where would you like to begin with this wonderful season? Well, I'd like to begin by saying I'm so glad that you said violet, because I don't like to use purple. <laughs> uh, and the reason why is because the church's liturgical documents use the word violet. You know, we think of the flower, we think of violet, something somber, something sober, something awakening, something beautiful, something silent. And uh, really, these are themes of Advent, focusing on the two comings of Christ. His first coming as a, as a babe in, in a manger in Bethlehem, which is actually the latter part of Advent. And then his second coming as the just judge, merciful and just judge, I might add, uh, which is actually the first part of Advent. So Advent focuses on the two comings of Christ, but in a reversed order. We focus on his second coming first and his first coming last or secondarily, again, at the end part of Advent, the latter part of the beautiful liturgical season. And it actually all begins this liturgical shift where we begin to focus on the first coming of Christ, again, the first part of Advent. It actually begins, Adam, around the latter part of the 32nd week of ordinary time, so already a few weeks back, where we started getting liturgical readings at the Daily Mass from the Book of Revelation, from the Daily Gospels during the latter part of the 32nd week of ordinary time and all throughout the 33rd and 34th week of ordinary time, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, focusing on Christ's second coming, where Christ himself tells us no one knows the day nor the hour, but uh, there will be these signs, and many will come in my name, etc., etc. So it's like Holy Mother Church in her last two and a half weeks of the regular liturgical year, of course, which really culminates on the 34th Sunday or last Sunday of ordinary time, uh, the great solemnity of Christ, the King of the universe, is all what catapults us now into this beautiful liturgical season, focusing on his two comings. And as St. Augustine teaches very beautifully, let us not forget Christ's first coming precisely so that we do not regret his second coming. And 
in talking about those two comings of Christ during Advent per se, it's important to remember that, that many of the church fathers writing in the first seven to eight centuries of the church talk about an intermediate coming between these two comings of Christ, and that's when Christ comes to you personally at your own particular judgment. All right. And that's important to remember, too, for that generation of individuals who will not be living at the time of the second coming when it takes place. There is an intermediate coming. Now, many of the church fathers also talked about the intermediate coming of prayer, the intermediate coming of contemplation, the intermediate coming of true mysticism, where we unite ourselves to the Trinitarian Godhead in prayer. Uh, St. Teresa of Avila's uh, Seven Mansions, for example, St. John of the Cross's Dark Night of the Soul, Thomas Akempis's Living the Imitation of Christ. These exalted uh, states of prayer is also considered an intermediate third coming. But in regards to Advent per se, the intermediate coming is more the particular judgment which lies between the first coming of Christ and his second coming. So it's just a beautiful, beautiful liturgical season. And I might add this, too, talking about the beginning of Advent. Uh, it's interesting, very interesting, the Holy Mother Church places a lot of martyrs in these last two weeks of ordinary time leading up to Advent. And then even after Advent, right after Christmas is celebrated on December 25th, we have the Holy Innocents, for example, and the Massacre of the Innocents. We have these other martyrs that come right after the celebration of Christmas within the Christmas octave, which is supposed to be a celebratory time, right? Well, why all these martyrs then? Because the martyrs show us the epitome of what it means to live for Christ and thus die for Christ, right? No greater love is there than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends, right? Something that Christ himself did for us. And the martyrs show this, beginning with, the again, the latter part of the 32nd week of ordinary time, leading us right into Advent. And then even the martyrs we have right after the celebration of Christmas, during the octave celebration itself. I'm glad we're talking about this in this context, Father, because one of the things that, and, and again, I, I say this often on the show, I remember when this happened for me and when it clicked for the first time that we, we talk about Advent as a season of preparing, a season of getting ready. You know, We yeah. have to get ready for Christmas. We have to get ready for the coming of Christ. Well, in one sense, the Incarnation is a historical event that happened some 2,000 years ago, and the next time we will see our Lord, uh, if we're alive for the second coming, it's not going to be a repeat of the event that happened 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem in a manger. And once that clicked for me, and, and now my kids, again, they're at that age too. They're like, well, Dad, aren't, aren't we getting ready for the coming of Jesus? Well, yes, but not in the way that Mary and Joseph did 2,000 years ago. So what are some of the things we need to keep in mind then as we journey through this season, yeah. as we prepare, as we, we pray in the Mass for the second coming of our Lord? Yeah, which is a very prominent theme throughout the Mass, as we wait in joyful hope for the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Words that are said by the celebrant at every Mass we attend, right after the Hour Father, but the reception of Holy Communion. What are the themes during that part of the Mass, right after the Hour Father, but before receiving Holy Communion? Protect us from all distress. The former translation of the Roman Missal used the word anxiety. Protect us from all anxiety. All right? As we wait in what? Joyful hope for the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And then Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, I leave you peace, my peace I give you. In other words, he doesn't want us to fall to pieces. He wants to give us his peace. So uh, protect us from all distress or anxiety as we wait in joyful hope, okay? So no distress, no anxiety, joyful hope, and peace. My gosh, 
These are three major themes that Holy Mother Church, the Bride of Christ, places before us right before we're about to receive the source and summit of the entire Christian life, right? The, the Most Holy Eucharist, which, which is the theme of my two Advent missions out in California during Advent this year before Christmas. I'm going to debut my new series at two parishes, The Most Holy Eucharist Gift and Sacrament, in response to the USCCB's call for the three-year Eucharistic revival, right? From June 2022 through June 2025, Corpus Christi to Corpus Christi during this three-year celebration, talking about the doctrine of the Most Holy Eucharist, the Source and Summit. But these themes should guide us in what we're looking at at Advent, because the second coming of Christ should not scare us, and his first coming should not scare us, right? So Advent comes from the Latin word meaning coming, to come. Advenere. In general, the word Advent regards the coming or arrival of a notable person, a thing, or an event. Well, Jesus is coming, and Advent is intended to be a season of preparation for his arrival. So while we typically regard Advent as a joyous season, it is also intended to be a period, Adam, of, of preparation, really much like Lent in regards to the preparation that's involved with it. Whereas Lent is more penitential, uh, with penance and fasting and so forth, while we can have those during Advent, Advent is more about quiet reflectiveness, reflective reality, um, a sober awakening as we await these two comings of Christ. So it's interesting that many religious orders in the church consider, especially the monastic orders like the Carmelites and the Benedictines and the Cistercians, they call Advent the Little Lent. How awesome is that? And so they might take on more penitential practices during Advent, but for the mind of the church in general, okay, while it can surely be penitential in nature, it's more about quiet, reflective, sober awakening. So while Advent is not strict as Lent, we say, and there are no liturgical guidelines for fasting during Advent in the church's official teaching, uh, it is meant to be a period of self-preparation and self-examination. For example, the violet color associated with Advent is also the color for penance that is used liturgically during Lent. That's important. They use the same colors. The faithful can fast uh, somewhat during the first two weeks in particular and, and receive the Sacrament of Reconciliation in preparation for the celebration of Christmas, surely. And then uh, the color of the third Sunday of Advent, Gaudete Sunday, Rejoice Sunday, is rose. Gaudete means rejoice in Latin. This color symbolizes joy and represents the happiness we will experience when Jesus comes again. This third Sunday of Advent, then, is a day of anticipatory celebration. And think of Lent's uh, Laetare Sunday. Uh, in the latter part of Lent, also Rejoice Sunday. So again, the two seasons kind of share that union as well. Finally, Sundays during Advent, just as during Lent, should not be given to fasting, but instead to celebration, because we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ every Sunday. Every Sunday is a little Easter, we would say, just like we can call Advent the little Lent. Uh, every Sunday is a little Easter. Uh, it is important to remember, however, that there are no particular liturgical rules uh, for how the laity should observe Advent, as again, it is not as liturgically strict as Lent. So I like to teach, as the church does, a, a sober, awakening, quiet, reflective, devout, but joyful, anticipatory, expective liturgical season focusing on the two comings of Christ. We're grateful for Father Wade taking the time to reflect on the season of Advent with us. There's more to this conversation that we will bring you as the week continues, but now we're going to take a break here on Roadmap to Heaven. Stay tuned. Prayer in a time of waiting. All-powerful and ever-living God, guard our churches, our homes, our schools, our hospitals, our factories, and all the places where we gather. 
Deliver us from harm and peril. Protect our land and the peoples from enemies within and without. Grant an early peace with victory founded upon justice. Instill in the hearts and minds of men and women everywhere a firm purpose to live forever in peace and goodwill toward all. This we ask through Christ our Lord. Amen. Here is our catechist question for the day. True or false, a host that has been consecrated as the Eucharist, or is the Eucharist, the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ? True or false, a host that has been consecrated is the Eucharist, the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ? The answer is true. This is an important uh note for us when we talk about our belief in the real presence and something St. Thomas Aquinas would call concomitance, that the body by its very nature contains the blood, and the blood by its very nature contains the body. So to receive Holy Communion under one species, whether that's from the host, the sacred host, or whether that's to receive the precious blood from the chalice you receive, thanks to St. Thomas Aquinas and the notion of concomitance, you receive the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord in either case, whether you receive single species or both species. We mentioned at the top of the show there are some events coming up related to the season of Advent. I'd like to take a minute right now to go through some of those with you. Um, The Daughters of St. Paul in Crestwood, Missouri, are having their Baby Jesus Party at Pauline Books and Media. It's a wonderful Advent event every year. This Saturday, December 3rd, from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. at Pauline Books and Media, 9804 Watson Road in Crestwood. There will be photos at the manger. Bring your own nativity costume. Story time and Christmas treats. Story times at 11, 1130, 12, 1230, and 1 p.m. Registration is appreciated but not required. For more information, call 314-965-3512. Also this coming Saturday... At the Cathedral Basilica of St. Louis, there will be a Mass for All Things New, a Mass of Unity. Archbishop Mitchell Rosansky will celebrate this Mass of Unity at 10 a.m. Priests from throughout the Archdiocese will join the Archbishop to celebrate the Mass. It's a wonderful opportunity to come together as one Catholic community to pray for each other and for the future of the Archdiocese of St. Louis. All are welcome and reservations are not required. And also coming up in the season of Advent, um, in fact, next week they have one of these as well, and tomorrow night they have one of these, Eucharistic Revival Healing Services at the Cathedral. Tomorrow night will be in Spanish, so if you know someone who uh, is a Spanish speaker, and perhaps they appreciate going to something um, in their native tongue. Tomorrow night's the night at the cathedral at 7 p.m., and then next week on the 6th and the following week on the 13th, these services will be conducted in English. Uh, there will be adoration, confession, scripture, a reflection on the scripture, prayer teams will be available, and anointing of the sick will be available for those who are seriously ill. And finally, as I mentioned at the top of the show, this coming Saturday, I am Happy to be joining the Legion of Mary at St. Cletus Church in St. Charles, Missouri at 9 a.m. for Reflections on the Magnificat of the Blessed Virgin Mary. All are welcome to attend this event. Again, that's Saturday at 9 a.m. Now, those are the events happening around town, but what about the events in our homes? What are we doing in our homes for this season of Advent? You know, we, we, we need to make sure we have our Advent wreaths out. If you don't have one, have the kids color one. If you don't have kids, you know, make, make something simple. It could be as simple as tea lights on a wreath. It could be, you know, what, however you want to make it. But do something in your home to commemorate this season of Advent. Perhaps it's adding Advent prayers or an Advent reflection nightly to your, your, day, your nighttime prayers or your prayers before meals or prayer at the end of the meal. Gather as a family 
and pray together. Maybe it's to prepare some room in your heart for the coming of our Lord, as Father Wade and I were talking about today, making a holy hour once a week during the season of Advent if you do not currently make a holy hour. These are all ideas for us to practice. You know, it can also be fun things, too. It's not limited just to the prayerful. It should begin with the prayerful. In our house, we have four daughters. I bought them four new dresses to wear to Mass this season of Advent. Three violet dresses and one pink. And, you know, we'll be sitting in the pew there with our own little Advent wreath of of daughters dressed up in their (laughs) violet and pink dresses. Someone asked if we got them evergreen colored stockings and not yet, not yet. We're going to take one last break here on Roadmap to Heaven, get you another check of the weather today, and then we'll have the daily dose of encouragement for you. We're going to be talking about the season of Advent all week long here on the show. So there's plenty more to say on it. Don't worry about that. And if you heard something today you want to share with a friend, be sure to share the podcast with them. We'll be back after this. The Memorari to St. Joseph for the Sanctification of Families. Remember, O most chaste spouse of the Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who implored thy help and sought thy intercession was left unaided. Full of confidence in thy power, I fly unto thee and beg thy protection of families. Despise not, O guardian of the Redeemer, my humble prayer, but in thy bounty hear and answer me. Amen. It is a new week and a new theme for the Daily Dose of Encouragement. Here with us is Patty Schneier. Well, this week, I thought we would talk about a topic that can be a little bit difficult, a little bit serious, and it's the topic of fear and anxiety. Before we get started on this week, I have to do full disclosure. I am not an expert on fear or anxiety. I am hesitant to offer any suggestions because I have not dealt with clinical anxiety, fear, or panic attacks in my life. By nature... I'm a go-getter. I'm not a worrier. And with prayer, the sacrament of reconciliation, and hours spent in adoration and then receiving wise counsel and spiritual direction, I am usually able to deal with whatever fears I am facing. And I'm able to function and eventually move past the fear. So I cannot offer any medical or psychological encouragement here other than to truly go see a medical professional if fear is debilitating in your life or if it's causing you to miss out on the joys that are in front of you. But spiritually, I can offer encouragement by sharing the nuggets of truth that have been helpful to me in my life. They come from many priests and authors who are far more wise than I am. So the first nugget that I want to just share this week on the topic of fear or anxiety comes from Bishop Robert Herman, and I heard it years ago. I can tell you when I heard it. I heard it in 2014, so years ago. I heard him on Catholic Radio. He was giving a homily, and he said these words, Peace comes from the acceptance of truth. So that's my first nugget of encouragement of if you're experiencing severe fear or anxiety about something, just look at the truth of the situation, the facts, and calmly state them or write them down. Acceptance of reality is huge. Acceptance of what we cannot control is huge. Acceptance of our own mortality is huge. But it's the first step in regaining peace. So again... Peace comes from the acceptance of truth. Try to just write down the truth of whatever situation you are experiencing fear or anxiety about. 
Patty, it sounds like this may be one of those challenging weeks for us on the Daily Dose of Encouragement, but history has shown that those are usually also the very, very, very good weeks. So I look forward to the insights you'll share with us this week. Sometimes life is a great metaphor, and this past weekend was no exception. We recently had our tuck pointer out to look at some damage on our front porch, and he noticed that we had a veneer stone wall surrounding the porch and looked through one of the cracks and said, you know, I hate to tell you this, but it looks like you've got some problems under there that need to be addressed. And, you know, I happily take your money uh, to tear this veneer off, but you could do it yourself and, and save yourself some money. So that's exactly what we did this past weekend. The kids and I, well, mainly I, uh, the kids were standing on the sidewalk watching and asking questions. Pulled the veneer off the front porch, exposing lots of problems that we're going to have to deal with. But in doing this, we also created quite the mess. Now, why do I bring this up? Well, we talk about on the show every day the practical things for growing in holiness. And sometimes we note that growing in holiness can be boring and it can seem mundane, but the end result is worth it. And one of the struggles is is that sometimes the end does not seem in sight. So as we pulled this veneer wall down and a friend dropped off a trailer for us to load up all of the rubble and take it to a place that, you know, uses rubble for whatever they use it for. We had all of these small rocks, these small pieces about the size of a child's fist, and it looked like it was going to take forever. So I said, kids, let's put on our gloves. We all have little leather gloves, and let's take the rocks, just one rock at a time, down the stairs to the trailer, back up the stairs, grab the next rock, down to the trailer, repeat, repeat, repeat. Well, It was boring, it was mundane, it was difficult, but at the end of the morning, not even into the afternoon, at the end of the morning, we had all of the rubble loaded up onto the trailer, and now we can begin the work of repairing the foundations of the porch, foundations that were damaged and hidden by a veneer of everything's okay. And how often do we do that in our lives? We put up that veneer of everything's okay. Well, this season of Advent is a time to say that the world needs our Lord. In fact, we recall a time, as we've been discussing on the show today, when the world waited and we heard the Old Testament prophecies and then the incarnation happened and the world has never been the same. So I would encourage you this season of Advent, do the mundane. Do the little things that add up. It might seem like it's going to take forever. It might seem like the end is not in sight. But as sure as that rubble was cleaned up, living a life of holiness every day, maybe just with that daily checklist of these are the prayers I'm going to pray today. These are the good works I'm going to do today. These are the times I'm going to stop today for my rosary, for my chaplet. Um, Do those things. Commit to them and do them. They don't have to be grand. They can be average, everyday, ordinary things, and you can grow in holiness, and so can I. But we have to commit. By the way, if anyone knows anything about stone walls, well, you know, I'd be happy to hear from you too. No, actually, we've got that quite under control. Let's pray to close out the show today. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be 
world without end. Amen. We forgot to pray this at the beginning of the show, so let's pray it now. Eternal rest grant unto them, O Lord, and let perpetual light shine upon them. Through the mercy of God, may the souls of the faithful departed rest in peace. Amen. Our Lady Queen of all saints, pray for us. Saint Joseph, terror of demons, pray for us in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father Jeffrey Kirby is going to be with us on the show tomorrow talking about some of the early popes and church fathers, including St. Clement. And, uh, well, you've got to tune in for that. We'll have more Father Wade as the week goes on as well, talking about Advent. Until then, for Covenant Network, I'm Adam Wright. Thanks for being with us this morning on Roadmap to Heaven. And as the Blessed Mother wants us to do, do not forget to pray your rosary today. She wants you to pray it. <laughs>